Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 24 of Show Us Your Kit. Uh, I'm joined today by Alan March, Nottingham Forest fan and founder, I believe, of the Forever Forest podcast, or certainly the longest serving member of that podcast. Uh, so go and check that podcast out on uh, various platforms. Uh, but also, Alan is well known for his uh, support in the Alan March Sports uh, audio description commentary. Is that the best way to describe it, Alan? That's part of it. That's part of what I spend all my day doing, yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I don't want to get very Alan Partridge about it, but I did apply a couple of years ago. And by pure coincidence, I didn't actually realise that it was you when I contacted you. I just contacted a Nottingham Forest podcast. So just tell us a little bit about audio description uh, commentary. Um, well, I, I spend my time commentating and announcing around the world. That's what I do now. But I, I, I sort of stumbled into the world of commentary and announcing through commentary for the blind. Um, I entered a, a competition, I'm going to say 2006, it might have been 2005, it was 2005, 2006, uh, and basically the BBC and the Royal National Institute for the Blind were looking for people who liked talking and loved football, I was like, well, when I'm not drunk, that's me, uh, so I sort of put myself forward for it. Um, didn't really think anything of it. I don't have a I don't have a background in journalism or media or broadcasting. Uh, I made bread for Hovis. There you go. Oh, wow. uh, other other breads are available. Uh, <laughs> I made bread for Hovis at the time. I was just a, an admin person, and I thought, you know what? I was uh, I'll give it a go, and I actually won the whole competition. Uh, part wow. of my part of my memorabilia is associated to that. A little bit later on, so uh, I started audio describing. That's what we call it, audio describing, um, and just kind of blew up from there I was I sort of started off at a couple of clubs Huddersfield and Doncaster had this service for the blind uh, I started off there then uh, went to Nottingham Forest I went from there to, to a couple of other places and then I sort of grew it within I sort of formed a company within I think it was 2012 uh, AMS was was formed um it was called Alan March Sport, and then my staff voted that name out. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> mine, basically, but uh, everybody voted for AMS instead. I was like, thanks, guys. Um, so now we we actually have nine uh, football clubs that use our audio description up and down the, the football pyramid uh, in England and Wales, uh, Cardiff and Wrexham being uh, those over the border, uh, Southampton, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers themselves, uh, Leicester City, they're the three Premier League teams. And then we go down Mansfield, Forest. Uh, we also have Lincoln coming on board um, in the next few months when we're allowed to go and do some training again. So, yeah, it's been a, a very reward rewarding thing to, to volunteer my time for in 2005, six, whatever it was. Mm. Um, and some 14, 15 years later, it's, it's what I spend all of my time doing. Is there much difference between audio description commentary and, and regular sort of radio commentary? Well, you sort of said that we're going to do this as an Alan Partridge star, so I'm going to, I'm <laughs> going to do this here, whether you want to edit this or not. Um, not at all. If you, were good, if you were good enough, Tom, you'd have found out. There you go. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got for you. I, I, I've been searching ever since we came on the call. I've been searching to see if I could find the file that you would have sent in. And what yeah. I will say, disclaimer is, it's not just me that picks people. So it might not have been me that heard it. So there's my, <laughs> there's my little disclaimer. Um, it's, it's faster. It's more, it's, you know, the word describe is, I think it's something that the art is lost uh, on, on a lot of people. You know, you turn the TV on and if you closed your eyes, it's almost impossible to follow a football match because that's not what TV is for. So, so we accept that. Um, years ago, radio was 
very, very detailed in its description. Mm. It was wonderful. You go back as far as the Radio Times using a 12-block page in the middle of their publication, and they used to use the numbers of those squares for you to be able to reference where the ball was on a football field. And, mm. and as stupid as that sounds, if you did it well, you just sort of blended that number in, and, and people would be able to follow that game. I, I have various instances of, of driving up and down the UK over the years and listening to local radio stations or BBC radio stations that, that cover their games. You can't follow it. You cannot follow the action without mm. somebody veering off on a tangent. I mean, I'm, I'm a fine one to talk here, uh, but without commentators veering off on a little tangent to tell a story about something else. Uh. And the problem is, if you're, if you're not... Uh, if you're if you're if you're fully sighted, that's fine, you know. Because if you're at a game, great. But even if you are, even if you don't suffer with a vision impairment, then how do you follow something on the radio that isn't actually following what it's meant to do? So we we came up with this system with the RNIB uh, again back in 2011, 2012. We we devised a, a training scheme for the Olympics. And we sort of ran with it and we said, look, you know, like this is this is now the new form. It did. It, it existed before. I'm not I'm not you know, I didn't I didn't invent I didn't invent the fire. But what we tried to do was, was sort of remold it and, and come up with something different. And if you get ever get the chance to speak to someone who uses audio description that's done the way we think it should be, um, then they'll tell you there is a vast difference between listening to the radio uh, and listening to, to what we call audio description commentary. It's it's available for UEFA. So um, any UEFA finals, there are uh, have to have. It's now a it's now a, a signed off thing with UEFA. If mm. you want to host a, a final of, of whether it be Champions League or Women's Champions League or Europa uh, Europa Cup, you have to have an audio describer, whether it be in the local language or in English. Uh, I think we did one one once where I had to train both the languages of the two teams that were involved, and then we took a team of English people as well. So there were three <laughs> sets of people commentating for the blind. But that's fantastic. You know, yeah. it's it's a it's a service. The problem with the problem with somebody who is is deaf or blind, it's it's not an obvious thing. It's not a straightaway obvious thing. If you're in a if you're a wheelchair user, then you know people can go, oh, there's a ramp. I understand what that's for. Audio description. It, it takes a little bit more time for people to really understand mm. what the, what the benefits of that is. Yeah, and well, of course, a very high-profile, uh, visually impaired football fan, David Blunkett, was uh, before his time, really. And I suppose that sort of trend setting is what's uh, improving the uh, what's the right word inclusion for all elements of the game. Uh, but we've had a couple just... of uh, we've had a couple of emails from David Blunkett actually. So Have you? He, yeah. So he, he normally when they win, I don't tend to get one from him when he's, either he's never there when they lose, or normally right. just when they. Uh, so we we had one when we he went to watch Forest Wednesday at the, uh, the City Ground many years ago, and mm-hmm. Forest just handed over this email they had, and I was like, oh, that's good. Uh, and then it, the same happened when Wednesday played Leicester. One of the Leicester team had a random email from, "Hi, I'm Dave Blunkett. Great commentary, by the way. Yeah, oh, one three one. Well done. <laughs> that's why it was so good. Uh, <laughs> what if you uh, just talking about the commentators themselves? Then have there been any uh, what you describe as success stories of people going on to work for? BBC or anything like that? Have there been any cases where that's been the case? I mean, I'll, I'll ignore myself, but yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, we, we've we taken, so what we are, nine, we're on nine football clubs and if you average, I think we get sort of four or five, maybe maybe a few more at certain places. 
uh, one of our guys is the face of Ladbrokes TV. And I don't know if they can say Ladbrokes or not, but there I am. So he's like the face okay. of Ladbrokes TV. He sort of took the, the course with us uh, and he sort of built on that and, and became a bit of a commentator. He does like live horse racing commentary on Ladbrokes TV. But yeah, we, we've got various stories of people. Uh, one of the Crawley town guys, uh, we have Crawley as well on our books. I think he went on to work for the local BBC radio station there. Uh, and we've had numerous people who have commentated on Sky, on, BB, on BT, on BBC, um, on on various different sports what we what we teach in audio description is actually quite invaluable across the board um i don't just go out and audio describe i go out and commentate i go out and and i announce on i mean for me personally it's been like 30 different sports that i've tried to that i've covered uh, in the last decade from a company mm. perspective we've been involved in 50 different sports you know right. in in various different guises and being able to commentate on whether it be para powerlifting or uh, snowboarding or, you know, we've, we've done so many different things. One of our guys who trained with us in, I think it was 2016, Brad, um, he, he was asked to do a commentary for the Boccia World Championship, which was, which was shown on the BBC. You know, it was yeah. like, there's Boccia, go and learn. And <laughs> because he had the raw basics of, of what we teach. Uh, mm. And then they obviously go, the guys go in and, and they do um, this voluntary service at football clubs. And it is, it is voluntary. I won't, I won't beat around the bush with that. The people who get trained up are volunteers at the club, but mm. it is a wonderful service. And, and the, the exposure they get to being able to commentate on a football match, it's fa fascinating. It's, 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 a, it's something you can't get straight out of broadcast. You know, you wouldn't go to the BBC as a, as a junior and be given yeah. 20 or 30 football matches a season to commentate on. just wouldn't happen. So this is a great way for people to learn their trade. And how can people uh, get involved then, despite, uh, you know, being uh, rejected yeah. myself? <laughs> hey, hey, look, don't, don't take it to heart. Um, <laughs> I'm going I'm to just flat out lie and say you weren't the worst we ever had, because there have been some really bad ones. I can't imagine it was you. Um, it's, it's one of those things where we, we actually need the clubs themselves to want to do it so if you if you for instance live in the lincoln area uh, or, or surrounding the areas of lincoln uh we only spoke to them about a week ago and, and they've agreed that audio description is going to come into to lincoln city football club uh but again it needs covid and everything to go away quite frankly uh so we can actually get a room full of people and, and train mm. um we have devised various um internet-based training schemes, but it's not quite the same. We'd rather no. got it. We want, we, we want to get it right. You know, basically is, is, is the end of that. So if it's in your area, then great. That's a, that's one way of signing up. Um, and it's hard actually, because a lot of the clubs, we, we do the training for them and the people who get involved never leave. You know, it's like, this is great. I'm get, I, I get to go to the football for free. I get to be a mm. commentator. I go, I go in the media lounge. I get my pie. I get my free program. You know, they never leave. It's fantastic. One of the, I think three of the Leicester guys are still there from day one. We've been there for five years, you know, barely miss a game. Fantastic. So it's not, it's not something that's easy to jump into, but I would say as, as you did, you know, if you ever see an advert to, to learn how to order describe uh, a football club, Give it a go. It, it's it's invaluable. Yeah. Well, if you ever change your mind, I'm always open to offers. Uh, so, moving on, then. Uh, obviously, you're a big Forest fan. We can see the first shirt behind you. Uh, just talk us through that selection because it's quite uh, a unique one. What's the? Uh, well, it's got the badge I can see on the left hand side as well as on the right. So, what's the uh, what's the story here? Yeah. So, so basically, I have I have two Forest shirts that I that I always wanted. Um, 
And one of them, most recently, I was able to get hold of. The other, it eludes me because, well, I was an idiot as a kid and gave it away. So why did I do that? I don't know. However, uh, this is the 1995-1997 away kit. It's bright yellow. Um, and the best way I ever heard this uh, described was it looks like a photocopy is thrown up on it. Um, and, and, and if you ever get a chance to see a picture of the forest yellow away, 95-97 listeners, uh, that's basically what happened. There is a, it, it's a, a real ink stain mesh going down <laughs> the right-hand side uh, as you're wearing it. Uh, a huge forest badge. I'm not sure why our badge was so big back yeah. then. It's also bright yellow with the, with the tree uh, sticking out through the middle of it. Um, and a unique thing that not everybody knows, Forest fans all know this, um, but within this section here, just uh, below the first A in our sponsor, Labatt's, uh, mm. there is some lettering that's going down. Um, and it's the word Umbro. Apart from they've missed a letter. So it just ah. says Umbro. Um, <laughs> there's no B in this section here. It's brilliant. Uh, there's the U, there's the M, there's the R, and there's the O. <laughs> they've missed the B. And obviously, once you start mass producing, you can't go back. So yeah. I'm hoping it's not an error. I'm really hoping it wasn't an error. <laughs> Um, fantastically huge collar. I think that was just mm. kind of the, the thing back then in the in the mid nineties. Um, again, it says forest sort of going out to the left. If you didn't know it was a forest kit from looking at it, you've got something <laughs> wrong. It just yeah. sort of tells you all over the place. Uh, the back was was just a, a plain yellow back to it, uh, and it had quite a nice high neckline as well. So if you wore it in the cold, you kind of kept warm on your mm. on your chest. The V of the collar didn't go all the way down. My my real love, though, uh, and I, I know I showed you, um, I know I showed you a picture of it, uh, and unfortunately we got relegated in that one. So it kind of tinges a little mm. bit of, of what it was. We we had a we had a whole drama with Kevin Campbell in the yellow shirt. We he got sold from under the nose of of the manager, and and it, it, you know it, it upset Pierre Van Hooydonk the following season. Less said about that, the better. Um, <laughs> the one the one that I've always wanted, and the one I've I've sort of searched and searched for, and. I, yeah, whilst I collect shirts and I have a I have a football shirt um, business with with football kit market, but I wouldn't see and and I and I and I advocate this message on social media. I spend what I can afford, and I and I always say that to people. Like I see people buying 200, 300, 400 pound football shirts, and I'm yeah. like, wow, that is that's a lot of money. I, I, I don't get me wrong, I am selling them, and that's that's fine. I'm I'm, I'm okay with mm. that. What I always say to people is, though, only spend what you can afford. So for me, I've never seen a blue forest top where I've gone, I'm happy with that. I'm happy That's with that. Yeah. Um, the blue one was from the 93-95 season. We got promoted uh, from the championship to the Premier League. And that was that was kind of Stan Collymore's burst onto the scene. Um, mm. He didn't play in the opening, I think, maybe five or six fixtures of the season. He had a problem uh, right at the beginning of the season. He still ended with 25 goals, 19 <laughs> of those, 19 of those coming in the league. Um, and it was quite interesting because our season, we only won two of the first eight. You know, we had, and one of those was like Grimsby away. And it's like, yeah, I got a minute. Yeah. This is maybe yeah. not going where we thought it should. And then sort of Stan got fit. He got into the team and he just ripped the league apart. Absolutely ripped the league mm. apart. Um, and I've got sort of, I've got a signed Stuart Pearson, a signed Stan Collymore Forest shirt as well. Because they, mm. they are the two players to me that, that epitomise what I grew up to watch at Nottingham Forest. Collymore, uh, he's the sort of player from the, that I remember watching. And, and I still, I look at the TV and I think, right, somebody do what Stan Collymore did, which was have pace, power, yeah. skill on the ball, 
great header, so much strength to hold people up. And I don't see that very often. And I love that in a striker. Um, so he was kind of like, that was, that was my player. He was, he, he wore the shirt uh, uh, and he just gave every ounce of effort each week. Um, we went up, we, we got promoted in the shirt. The following season, we still had it. And back then, obviously clubs kept shirts for more than a year or six months, it seems mm. these days. Um, and we came third, like the, the unthinkable. We came third in the Premier League um, and he got another 25 goals. You know, it was like, this guy is unbelievably good. We beat United at Old Trafford 2-1. Um, he he and Stuart Pearce were, they they were that team. You know, like everybody sort of fell in line with, with what they were doing. He was leading the line. We had Brian Roy, a Dutch striker that, that maybe some will know, um, mm. whose time with the, with the football club didn't necessarily end on, on great terms. But, but he and Colin Moore during that first season in the Premier League had this unbelievable telepathic way of playing one would step over and the other one would just carry on running through or the other one would find the other one with a 30 or 40 yard diagonal and it was like all of a sudden we took the ball from midway inside our own half up to halfway and one of those two then dealt with it and it was it was phenomenal to watch i i me personally i'm sure some forest fans disagree i haven't seen anything like that in a forest shirt since that since mm. those years you know 93 95 well, they were the times. Yeah, and well, and as you've said, really, since then, Forest have been relegated a couple of times down to League One and all sorts. But I, I wanted to just draw you back a little bit. It may be slightly before your time, but the Brian Clough era and the two European Cup, Cups, all that sort of stuff, does that weigh heavy as a fan and as, as a club, as the expectation? Huge. One of the, uh, one of the guys that we do the Forever Forest podcast with, Tom, um, who's a, a journalist uh, and, you know, for, for him, he's, I think he's, he's a good 10 years younger than me, maybe, and maybe even a little bit more. And he's even now started to joke on, on his own Twitter profile. He sort of said that the European Cups is a myth, didn't actually happen. Uh, it's just something that old Forest fans tell the young Forest fans before bed, you know, because <laughs> we're so far removed. You know, um, I, I was an interesting stat. Forest became the first team to win the European Cup and then play in this third tier of their own domestic league. We were, we were the first ones that managed that. Um, wow. A few have done it since then, oddly. It was, we, mm. I think we were the first to, to go and do it. <laughs> and that's, that's bonkers. If you think about a 40-year span, like how could we have been kings of Europe twice? Not once. We didn't just surprise everybody once. And did it consecutively that, as well. Like that, that's, I mean, it's, it's taken great. years for it to happen in the Champions League. You know, it took years and years and years for it to happen. But, you know, and not, 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 not just... And, have done it since either, you know. Like, no, and, I'm trying to think if anybody's done it since, but, you know, yeah, Barcelona probably. But it's, yeah. it's a phenomenal achievement what we did. The problem we now have is that it's so far in the past that mm. we've got two and three different generations of supporters now. And, like, we had a, I think... Um, we had a, a new, we had a shirt made. It was like an anniversary shirt. Uh, I think it was the 40 years shirt. And mm. the divide on social media was, it was unreal. Like people really couldn't get their heads around the arguments that were happening between people going, why have we bothered? And, and other people are like, why would you not embrace what, what mm. you did? You know, like I, I sort of, I, I sort of look at it from a Preston fan's point of view. 
does, do Preston go back as far as their FA Cup days and, and mm. their heyday? You know, do they fought, bury bless them? Or, you know, but but they had a they had a great history. They had a rich history. Yeah. Bolton, you know, do, do Bolton hang on to their European nights of, of the late nineties, early two thousands, <laughs> or do they not? You know, is it what, what is it you do? And, and I think it's hard especially for, for Forest fans who, who didn't see any of it. And I think it's even harder for those ones that perhaps didn't see the back end. And this is where mm. I come in. Like, I saw the back end of Clough's reign where we still went to Wembley, what it felt like every year, Simod Cup, ZDS, Littlewoods Cup, League <laughs> Cup, whatever you want to call it, Rumble yeah. I think we won them in all the various guises, you know, uh, Luton, Everton, Oldham, uh, Manchester United, we lost two, Southampton, we beat in the mm. ZDS, the Zenith Data Systems Cup. <laughs> you know, but we were always there. So it was mm. still like a wonderful childhood, you know, and, and I think in the 90s and early 2000s, those cups meant something as well. Yeah, I think yeah, now, if, 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 you're, if you're a Man United fan or a, or a Liverpool fan and you win the League Cup, you just sort of put it back to the back of your mind. It's like, well, we won the yeah. league cup, but it meant so much for other clubs to go and do that. Uh, and, for, and for Forest, that was our ticket. The sad thing for us was it was it would have been our ticket to Europe, um, but for but for the fact that we were banned, we won we won all those cups at Wembley, which yeah. would have qualified you for Europe and got nothing from it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks Liverpool. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, just talking about Brian Clough, we had a derby, a couple of derby fans on a couple of weeks ago, and they were speaking. They're, in... they're having a good time at the moment, aren't they? Oh, well, <laughs> well, uh, the the two of you, the two clubs, share this, you know, uh, mutual respect and love for Brian Clough and the the trophy uh, that's played for every league fixture is quite fascinating as a, a neutral. Um, but they also did speak in quite uh, passionate terms about their hatred towards Forest as well. I think that it's a really overlooked rivalry. All the East Midlands derbies, the Leicester, Leicester and Forest, no Forest fan was happy when Leicester won the league, really, were they, a couple of years ago? Um, just a mention no, on the other East, East Midlands. <laughs> I'm not having that. <laughs> If you, if you, right. So it, this is, this is the truth, right? You're the truth. And I, and I'm not really a bitter person. So my, my hatred for Derby is kind of probably a little bit less than some, because I think my years of commentating have, have simmered me down, but, but this mm. is the genuine truth. Forest fans really don't care about Leicester. It, it couldn't care one iota. And, it, mm. and if you're a Forest fan, listen to this. I, I please message Tom now, <laughs> message Tom now and, and agree with me. We couldn't care less, mate. Honestly, right. we, we we're glad they've got Wes Morgan a Premier League title because he deserved it. <laughs> you know, he's ours, yeah. but yeah. that's fine. He could be at Leicester for another 10 years as well. So, so we don't care. And another, another myth that people think, people think we care about Notts County as well. We don't. No. We absolutely don't. Most Forest fans would like them to do better. Like, we, you know, I, I took no pride in them going out of the division. The mm. only thing that we laugh at is the fact that they hate us. <laughs> it's like, why hate us? <laughs> You know, what, what are you hating us for? There's, there's, like, it's not our fault. You know, we just, we happened to get bigger and our club was run better for X amount of years. Mm. I mean, God knows, not many, but, you know, the, <laughs> the Derek Davis years of Notts County did them no favours whatsoever. Um, yeah. And they got up to, they were in the, they were in the football league the year before it went into the, being the Premier League. So, in essence, they only had themselves to blame for getting relegated mm. one year too early. However, yeah. like, we look at them and we're like, fine whatever you you get your results I'd, I'd much rather them be back in the in the in the football league it's great for the town it's great for tourism and all that nonsense so get back in the football league great Leicester couldn't care less really couldn't care less with Derby it's really really hard because you've got two clubs as you say and their link is is the word Clough 
Um, it really is. And, and we obviously take pride that Brian Clough came to us, did, did what he did with Liverpool, uh, with, with Derby, sorry, and mm. then did better. And, that's, and I think that's where Derby's bitterness comes in. It's like, yeah. he did what he did with Derby, and then he went the next level. And he didn't just go the mm. next level, he blew the lid off it. You know, like to win the European Cup twice, massive achievement. It doesn't matter what anybody ever says. Um, so Derby have their they have their glory of of what Clough did for them, but I think they have this little bitterness and and deceit towards us because we got the better of him. I think in the mm. end, he he famously he famously said a couple of times that he preferred Derby over Forest. So they have that as a little niggle as well every now and again. Um, but I think I think. Rivalry is okay, like as long as you don't take it too far. And, and I'm, I, I sit and you know, part of my job is, is is managing social media channels for various things. And and I look at people's outpourings on on a keyboard, and I just think you would not, absolutely no. would not say half the things you're going to say on social media. Certainly Twitter, Facebook, not so bad, but but certainly on Twitter, people say some of the most horrific oh. and horrendous things. You know, like we. We, one, one second you'll see somebody on their account and they're like, oh, mental health, mental health, it's, it's all important. And then the next thing is just utter abuse and vile towards somebody else. You can't, you can't have it both ways. You know, as a human being, as all, as, all of us as human beings, it's, it's important that we act how we, we should act. Yeah. I mean, that, that doesn't happen. So, so what I see between Forest fans and Derby fans on social media is like mind-blowing because mm. you just wouldn't say that in, in the room. But equally, we're, we're in such close proximity. I mean, I used to live on, uh, I used to live in, in a town called Ilkeston, um, and that was a proper border. So border between Nottingham and Derby. Um, and I was working at Wembley when Derby got to the playoff final against West Brom. Now, one of the pieces I'll show you in my memorabilia is my forest scarf. And, and, and the reason that, that that's there is <laughs> I take it everywhere with me. And I didn't hide it the day I was working at Wembley. <laughs> oh my God. Um, on, the, on the TV gantry at Wembley Stadium, uh, they used to just sort of split the, that, that stand, that stand as you looked at it, uh, they used mm. to just split it in half, put a, a black mesh, depending on the two teams that were playing, how, how maybe uh, agitated they would get with each other, but they used to put a black mesh right up the spine of the, of the stand uh, and separate people. And, and I got put in my seat for this, for this particular playoff final, Derby West Brom, um, and I got my scarf out, and I've really, I've sort of, sort of, sort of looked around me and thought, I'm on the Derby half <laughs> of the game. Good. Okay. So I'm fine with that. I've, I've sort of moved my scarf a little bit. It's not so in view. What was in view was me, um, and some guy must have recognised me because um. all I all I heard was, he's a he's a Forest fan. He's from Ilkeston. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, I'm, I'm doing my pre-match notes. I'm doing my pre-match notes. I'm, I'm, it's about half an hour before kickoff. I've done a few sort of links on the, on the, on the microphone. And all of a sudden, I've just sort of took my headpiece. <laughs> I always, always wear my headpiece one ear on, one ear off. And I've just heard this. And for the next sort of 15, 20 minutes, I am the joke. <laughs> you know, like every Derby fan in that proximity is like, yeah, I'm not going to swear, but you can imagine what I'm getting at that point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was one of my one of my personal highlights of Wembley Stadium was being absolutely got at by Derby <laughs> fans, and they won the game. I was I was very professional. Yeah. Uh, I kept it going. Uh, I commentated as I should do, uh, and they won the game. And my 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 train ride home was a delight. Mm. Just on Brian Clough then as well. Before we move on, uh, for any younger listeners, 
where's the best place to start in getting to know him? I've read the the book that's called Provided You Don't Kiss Me or something like that, uh, which is an excellent, excellent uh, biography that on... My, uh, that was my answer. Uh, Duncan, Duncan Hamilton, is that? Um, I, uh, I can't remember off the top of my that's head. What, that's, but... that, that's what... Yeah, the, I mean, he... Just Google him. Like, the best thing to do, he's not, he's not read about him, he's watch him. Mm. And... The problem you've got, and it's a problematic with everything in modern terms, you've got to be able to watch him and understand the time that he was around. You know, like, would Brian Clough be able to manage now? No. A million percent not. Because the players don't respond to the sort of thing that, that he might have got up to. And I think I think sarcasm and humour has changed massively over the last 20 or 30 years you can't tell the jokes and i don't mean i don't mean the jokes we shouldn't tell i just mean sarcasm people, mm. people just don't get it anymore yeah. and he was sarcastic but he wasn't just sarcastic he obviously had a plan you speak to every like you don't find many former footballers that that hated brian clough you know there was the way he treated justin fashion and that was wrong you know like but but that was a lack of understanding. That was a, a mm. that was a lack of that was a lack of knowledge on, on Brian's part. And it was the time. And I'm not I'm not excusing yeah. anybody for what he did. But his his treatment of, of Justin was wrong. So so that's that's that. But his treatment of almost almost everybody you ever speak to. I mean, Roy Keane famously was asked who is the best manager he worked under, and he responded with Brian Clough. He mm. wasn't there half the time he was with Sir yeah. Alex. But that was his answer. And the guy said, oh, yeah. you, you know, not, not Sir Alex. And Roy just went, you asked me for you asked me who, mm. who it was, I, I told you. Like, because, and, and you hear Stuart Pearce stories, uh, Des Walker stories, even some even some players that never played. There's, there's um, I, I listened to Under the Cosh uh, podcast, uh, mm. and one of the best they ever did was with um, Kevin Campbell. And he talked about when Kevin Campbell was playing for... Uh, Arsenal against Forrest and, and Cluffy just gets hold of him in the corridor and starts having to go at him for scoring goals. You know, it's just, <laughs> that was just his, he was trying to get into your psyche. You yeah. know, he, there's, there's wonderful videos of him. He's on the Parkinson show. He's on, he's on with Muhammad Ali. I mean, the guy, the guy has so much character. He made Muhammad Ali look normal. Like, <laughs> and, and that guy had character, you know, like, and, and I think that's where, if you want to understand about Brian Clough, get, get, Get Googling, go on a YouTube, find any videos you can. Um, mm. Is it Michael Sheen? Michael Sheen does a wonderful impression yeah. um, in The Damned United. But that was also Clough. Like, yeah. As, yeah. As, I'm sure Leeds fans, I'm, I'm sure Leeds fans, they swing more towards not liking him because of how he did things. But mm. that's what he wanted. He, he wanted that. He wanted to try and find something unique within that Leeds squad. Okay, might not, be, might not have been the right idea to throw the medals on the floor, or or at least say <laughs> throw the medals in the bin. But but he he wanted to get an understanding that he didn't appreciate what Revy had done. What he didn't what he didn't take into consideration was um, how much the the Leeds players loved Don Revy. I call him Reeve Don Revy. Um, so you know nobody's perfect, Tom. Are they? At the end of the day, like no manager goes in and does something brilliant at every single football club. You know, Sir Alex Ferguson had bad years. He had great years. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, all the all the great managers of all all time have all done wonderful things. Sir Alf Ramsey, you know, like a lot of if you if you go back even further, people sort of say, "Oh, you know, Sir Alf Ramsey got lucky with the World Cup, and everything else he touched really wasn't that good." You know, mm. he was out. He was out come the next tournament because we did so badly. Um, yeah. So it's. It's a, it's about what he did that was good. Some of the stories of of him and his dog. I think um, again, Mark Crosley 
has some wonderful stories. Steve Chettle and Mark Crosby, I think there's a story about when, they're, when they were YTS lads and they were, they were asking whether they were going to get a contract in this, that and the other and they weren't going to sign it. So he told them to take their tracksuit off there and then, you know, like they would have just been stood there in their pants. So they were like, oh no, okay. <laughs> so there's, there's been really interesting stories from, from almost every player. And it was just how he got in your psyche um, mm. my, my staff will tell you, I try and have a go at that. Like they, <laughs> they know when I'm having a go at them, but I'm not really having a go at them because mm. I haven't, I haven't quite got it down to the art that, that, that Brian has. And again, why would it not work now? I think what he was trying to do with his attitude was, was to make you want to be better. And I, I think if you're on 90 grand a week, I don't think you care. And I think that's why it wouldn't work. These guys were on a bob, you know, <laughs> Google yeah. it. You know, they, were on, they were on seven and six and all this nonsense, all this, <laughs> all this metric stuff. You know, like, so, so how, do you, how do you motivate a guy on 20, 30, 70, 100, 200 grand a week? You know, like, I, I feel for Mourinho right now. How is he going to motivate Gareth Bale? Yeah. What's the point? Exactly. You know, it's... We've got we've got Lewis Graben. Um, I'll go back to, to Forest modern times for you, but we've got Lewis Graben right now, and it feels like it feels like I don't know the insides, but a lot of Forest fans will agree with him. It feels like we gave him the captain's armband to placate him, right? And that surely that's not the captain you want. I mean, no. don't get me wrong, the guy's an unbelievable goal scorer at Championship level. He's he hasn't quite made it when he's gone to the Premier League. So at this level, your Jordan Rhodes, your your, your Vidras at this level, he's he's one of those. You know, he scores goals. Mm. Um, but is he captain material? I don't know whether you caught the the him ducking out the way of a goal the other week at the corner. He just ducks his right. head down and we can see the goal. And it's like, um, what? Like, mm. there's no shout. There's no nothing. And every Forest player looks at him like, what on earth is that? That's not that's not leading. That's just yeah. doing something stupid. So. We, you question what what do you do to motivate somebody on that amount of money? Could the old school managers do it? I think I think Sir Alex Ferguson got out of the best time because mm. it was just going up and up and up. And I think more players that he signed were harder for him to turn into the gold that he was churning out because their attitudes changed because of the the, the volume of money that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the unsung hero of that era as well from Forest. Peter Taylor, what was his role in the uh, successful partnership there? Do you know what? It, to make this one really short, Peter Taylor was probably the person that just went and put his arm around the person that Clough had just been speaking to. <laughs> it's fine, honestly, it's yeah. fine. Um, he, he was he was the straight man. Like, oh, sorry, he was the he was the he was the other guy. Clough Clough mm. was Clough. That was what you got. If you were 30 seconds late for trading, he didn't let you off because it was only 30 seconds. He was at you. And and, yeah. and he made you understand that that wasn't acceptable. You turned up with your trainers on or instead of your shoes on your, for the team bus. He wasn't having it. You know, there's a there's a there's a wonderful story about them drinking the night before a game against Southampton. I think it's the, the community shield. Um, mm. and he just makes them drink until cert two certain players agree with him. You know, I think it's Archie Gemmel and uh, I can't think of the other ones, but basically he wants them to agree with him and they just wouldn't. So they just kept on drinking until they did. <laughs> like, and, and then he had a go at them half time because they were losing. You know, amazing, <laughs> fantastic. So, but I think I think Peter's role in that was to sort of calm it all down. Or maybe have to take the player to the other side and go, right, do you know why he's done it? Maybe, maybe he was the one that explained it. I think, I think tactically as well, I think Peter Taylor saw a different game. Mm. But, he, but he allowed... Because again, another, another thing that you hear from Forest players is there wasn't a great deal of tactics with, with Brian. It was keep the ball, don't concede, 
mm. uh, be fit and be clever. And that was kind of his, that was kind of his way. I think Peter then maybe added a few little extra pieces to the jigsaw. Mm. And that's what it is, isn't it? You know, Sir Alex had some wonderful assistants who didn't go on and make it as a manager, but they were perhaps there for him to bounce ideas from, uh, to, to sort of, I wonder how many times Sir Brian Clough shut the door and looked at Peter Taylor, was that a bit harsh? Uh, you yeah. know? <laughs> and Taylor's probably gone, no boss, you're all right. Yeah. And wandered off, you know, like, I wonder how many times uh, Carlos Queros or Brian Kidd uh, mm. or, or Steve McLaren had to do that with, with Sir Alex, you know. I can't yeah. imagine Steve McLaren's turned around to Sir Alex and gone, it was fine to throw that hairdryer. Fine, <laughs> absolutely. You know, so, so I think every... Goose. Everybody needs a everybody needs a wingman, don't they? Um, mm. So it's uh, I, I didn't think I'd get a Top Gun reference in, but there you go. <laughs> so, so everyone needs a everyone needs a wingman. I think Peter Taylor certainly he deserves his name on one of our stands as much as as much as Brian Clough did. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important for pe- for younger people to know as well. Younger, fo- you know, neutral football fans. Obviously, Forest fans would I assume be aware of Peter Taylor, but I think he's very much overlooked in that sort of era. But I could talk about Clough all day. Even you know he was well before my time. I'm just fascinated by him i think he's such an amazing character and if my grandfather always says if you would pick any manager to manage a team it would be brian clough so uh but we will move on sadly uh to your next kit which i can see behind you is an england kit so what's the story behind this one then please so uh this is as i say like so my audio description work was something that started as a hobby uh, and then kind of grew i got a phone call one day uh, I, I can tell you what I was doing. I was watching. I was watching a football match on the TV. Obviously, um, it was a, I think it was an FA Cup game. It was West Ham, and uh, the phone rings. Random number, and I answer it. And some voice says, "Hi, we're having audio description at Wembley. Would you like to do that?" It's like, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> obviously. And then the second part was, "Well, we've got to pay you. It's brilliant. That sounds great. I mean, uh, <laughs> I was doing it as a hobby. The next thing I know, somebody from the FA is ringing me, going, "I'd like to pay you to audio describe uh, football matches." Um, so Wembley was was obviously being built late, um, which mm. is very typically typically British um, by Australian builders. So in the build up to that, I was I was asked to come in, <clears throat> have a look at the stadium, and I did the there was a Wem, what they called the Wembley Day, uh, where they let in X amount of thousands of locals uh, to come and uh, test out the facilities. Uh, then they did a, uh, a a day where loads of teams play. Mark Bright. Mark Bright unofficially scores the first goal at Wembley, by the way. Mark Bright will oh, tell well. you that. Uh, so there's a load of five-a-side teams. Mark Bright is one of them. He's on the first game. Um, not the easiest thing to order to describe. We're just random people playing football. But, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, so, so he plays in that. And then the first England game, and I've got, a, I've got my programme as well because I'm going to get this framed uh, with this in it. So basically, England played Brazil. Uh, the under-21s played Italy. Uh, before mm. that, so that was the they were the three test games. The first real game um, was uh, was June the June the first two thousand and seven, first England game that was played there. Um, and I was lucky enough to be there. I, I, oddly, that year I did the Community Shield as well between Chelsea and Manchester United, uh, which I got a good twenty minutes kip um, out of that because it was dull <laughs> as. But this uh, this was a this was a one all draw. Um, we uh, we had the likes of Beckham returning to the England side. Uh, Michael Owen was in the squad. Jermaine Defoe, mm. John Terry um, was was out there, and John Terry got the goal for England. Uh, around about the around about the fifty or sixtieth minute mark, I think, maybe even a little bit earlier than that. Um, and we would have won. England would have won that opening game if it wasn't for the famous Brazilian Diego, um, who I'm going to Wikipedia later and see where he ended <laughs> up. But, but basically, he scored in the ninetieth minute. Uh, so I managed to come across a good friend of mine, Carlo, um, who is. Uh, 
half Belgian, half Italian, and then a quarter of a Bournemouth fan. Um, but wow. basically, he, he found this for me, uh, and it's got the England versus Brazil uh, written on the middle uh, of the chest. Uh, it's still in England top with its tags on, which I'm absolutely fascinated by. And then it's even got the patch. Oh, uh, wow. Wembley Stadium, England versus Brazil. So I'm going to I'm going to get that framed, um, and I'm going to put my my program. Oddly, I've got two of these. I didn't even know that. I got I found another one yesterday. So they're going to go together, and, and I'm going to put them in a in a frame. Uh, and that is that is my favourite. It's not aesthetically my favourite England top, but it's mm. obviously so much sentimental value to me that that's my that's my choice. Um, yeah. My favourite, my favourite England top, by the way, um, I'm going to get hit for this, uh, is the one we only wore once. Uh, and the only person to score in it was Dennis Wise. Can you name, the, oh, right. can you name that kit? Uh, it must have been an early 90s kit. Uh, it's, the, it's the pale blue one that went with the oh, red. Right, okay. uh, has that recently been released as a like classic kit or something? I'm sure I've seen it doing the rounds but- recently. Maybe it has, but the money I've paid is definitely not. Um, so uh, we've, um, we've managed to get one for the website. And I'm, I, if it was a bit bigger in size, I may not have let it get as far as the website. <laughs> so there you go. So uh, the uh, the England kit's on his way. But yeah, so that that for me is is my favourite non-Forest kit for, for sentimental reasons. A lot of my stuff is sentimental because I think yeah. like it's all right to say you, you've got a favourite because of this or this or the other. A lot, of, a lot of what I do in my life is, is based around my family. It's based around... It's based around me having an opportunity to better my life without any qualifications mm. whatsoever, uh, and running with it. So I think a lot of mine will, will you 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 happily see that a lot of mine are based on how it makes me feel rather than anything else. I think that's a perfect opportunity to move on to the photo that you've sent me. So I asked for a photo of you in a sporting context, but this is what you've sent: it's a photo of you yeah. and your family. So you've you've teased me with there's a good story behind it. So I'm looking forward to to this. I um. I spend a lot of pre-COVID. I'll start again. Pre-COVID, I spent a lot of my time on the road. Um, so, for instance, at the beginning of beginning of 2020, we were we were locked down by what March the 16th. Um, yes, and yeah. I'd I'd already been to Abuja in Nigeria. I'd been to Sakhalin in Russia. Uh, I'd flown wow. into uh, Manchester to be a part of an event there. Uh, I went to Portugal or well, Madeira more more so uh, to mm. do a site visit for another event, and then got back home to Bulgaria. Um, and that was all before we got locked down. So that's that's kind of that's what I do. I spend my, all of my time away, and it kills me inside. As I said, I was I was gifted an opportunity um, to to make a career or a living. I really was. It was a, a fluke of nature, if you like, seeing that advert back in two thousand and six. And I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna not embrace it. So the one thing that I know I have to sacrifice is 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 time. And it's time with my family. So uh, I used to have uh, stuck against the wall behind my computer. So I used to take a picture of me and my wife in our wedding day um, with me. She put it in a she put it in a wooden frame with a load of like green marbles, and I got some real stick for that. Um, and I used to have that, and I, I would have that on my desk with my scarf. And to me, they were my they were like my lucky mementos, uh, mm. if you like. So they're my they're my lucky mementos that I, that I take with me. And then a couple of years after that, my wife made the, this picture. So the uh, the centre one is is me and my uh, my wife with our youngest daughter and our oldest two. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have uh, all together we have four four daughters, but these are these are the three that uh, that we can get access to and, and we see. So um, I have a big, nice picture of them. Uh, I'm wearing a terrible jacket. I don't know why I wore that jacket. I, I, at one point, I thought jacket suited me. Then again, at one point, I had hair, uh, and I thought hair <laughs> suited me as well. So that didn't. Um, so I've got my daughters and. 
my youngest is a gobby git like me. Uh, and it's really <laughs> unfortunate the other two are really quite quiet. Um, so attached to that, and basically this is like a stand. It's it's one long picture in the middle and then two on the outside. And it, it stands on my desk so that I can look at it when I'm, when I'm working. And that's my inspiration, if you like. I sort of look at it and I think, right, I'm having a bad day here, but... But I'm putting food on your table, so let me carry on. <laughs> um, so one half of it is then the the wedding picture that that, that I mentioned a bit earlier. Mm. But then the other one is is a picture of my youngest, who uh, we were doing an event in uh, a place called Tarvisio in in Italy. And I say that to even Italians, and they have no idea where that is. But basically, <laughs> it, was that, it was an athletics event, uh, great ice cream, and um, my daughter and my wife were there because we were driving. <laughs> so this is this is this is my life in a nutshell. We moved from England to Bulgaria. In, a, uh, in an S-Max, basically, uh, because I had an event in the Netherlands, uh, sorry, in, um, in San Marino, uh, and I had an event in Italy, which kind of, they were back to back. And it mm. was all about the time that we said we'd move to, to Bulgaria. So, so my wife said, I'll tell you what, look, you, <laughs> you drive, oh, I'll do it, yeah. Uh, so we loaded the car up. I drove to San Marino, um, <laughs> which is, a nice drive, a good couple of days, a couple of stopovers, a uh, <laughs> car full of everything. I could barely see out the back window. Drove to drove to San Marino. Did a, it was a shooting event. It was a, a shotgun shooting event. Um, did that for five or six days. Uh, on the last day of that competition, my wife flew into an airport not too far away from San Marino. I mean, San Marino is the same size as a shoe, basically. <laughs> uh, I drove out of the shoe. Uh, I went and got my wife. She, she came and saw the last day of the shooting competition. Uh, and then we drove off which was just happened to be in the right direction we drove down uh through italy um to to Tavisio, uh did this athletics event uh, and then got on a uh, got on a, a ferry uh, across the border to to greece uh, egamontiza i think it's pronounced so egamontiza mm. uh you get off there and from there the sat nav says from there to your house in bulgaria 12 hours so go uh within an hour and bear in mind this is the middle of the summer but within an hour our air conditioning broke uh, about, about 35 degrees in Greece that day. Um, oh, so we have to sort of stop every 25 minutes and just douse Camille in 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 liquid because she was with my wife. So I've kind of I've kind of forgotten that. So we had, we had the baby as well. Um, so we were just sort of dousing her with water constantly. Uh, she was fine. Yeah, just yeah. got a nappy on him. You know, you just sit there and do what you like. So, so we, yeah, we, that was that was kind of my trip. So that's her in Tarvisio about three days before we left and moved our entire life having a microphone in her hand, um, just, just for the sake of professionalism, the, the stadium was empty at this point. I wouldn't have given it to that in a live event. Very good. It reminds me of that scene from The Simpsons where uh, Homer's got the... He's been given a plaque in front of his desk that says, don't forget you're here forever. But he's, he's filled it up with bits of photos of his kids and it says, do it for her. So very uh, moving uh, sentiment there from you. So very nice story. Well done. Uh, so moving on then. You've sent another couple of photos. Uh, yeah, so, so just before you do that, you, you asked for, um, and it's intriguing actually, because like one of the things you asked for is a, uh, is a sporting picture of yourself. Mm. Uh, and I, do you know what? Like, I played everything when I was a kid, and I'm really disappointed. I just don't have any. And, and, and obviously, people are going to listen now, and they're thinking, well, yeah, because you're old. Polaroid. <laughs> no, it's, it's really not. It's just that, I don't know, like, I kind of, 
I flattered to deceive as a sports person. I was good at everything. I just wasn't great. Mm, you know, like yeah. I even, I even threw javelin really well. Like what, <laughs> what a random thing, you know, I yeah. was even, I even went to a training session with Steve Backley to try and oh, wow. find young javelin throwers. And I was really good at it. I just couldn't be bothered. Um, <sighs> I played, uh, I played in goal at hockey for the Midlands. Like I got that far oh, and be bothered. Um, <laughs> I, I played, I played rugby at a young age for, for Nottingham. Like really, mm. as a kid, like, but just didn't like the fact that people were getting injured, so I walked away. And I just, yeah, like I was, I was good at stuff, just never really sort of took it on. So all of the photos and medals I would have had would have been rubbish. Now, the one thing I don't have a photo of, and I'm quite proud of, is, um, and anybody who, who's ever been to the uh, the East Coast uh, for their holidays as a kid, um, one, it shows that you weren't rich because that's where we went. Uh, so we went to a place called Mablethorpe. Uh, I don't know if people know Mablethorpe. Uh, it's like Inglemel's Mablethorpe, that sort of area. Um, mm. And I won, <laughs> I won my leg of uh, Junior Tarzan, and I'm very <laughs> proud of that. Um, I'm very proud of that. Apart from when I look back at the '80s and realise that old men in CD clubs had young boys <laughs> in their trunks running around, um, and I sort of think. I can't remember if I was, but I mean, there was just yeah. a gorilla. There was just a guy in a gorilla outfit in the back. Yeah. That was With wandering hands. <laughs> yeah, all these kids in their pants, and it was just a gorilla in the back room going, Rah! you know, oh, and, and all the kids were so scared. They just ran on stage, did this did this imitation of Tarzan, <laughs> and then ran back off again to go and find their parents and some ice cream uh, oh, and space raiders or something like that. So, yeah, so maybe maybe if I had a picture of that, uh, but not in my pants, just, just of that. <laughs> Would have been would have been fantastic. The only other the only other one I could have offered up, um, I was, <laughs> I'm not a fan of of celebrity TV and, and people who know me know me know me. That's my opinion. Um, however, uh, as I have to provide for my family, sometimes morals go out of the window. Um, so I was the voice of Splash on ITV. Oh, right. So I was the voice of God for Splash. Uh, and I do have a picture of me on the 10 meter board with my forest scarf uh, whilst that was being filmed. But I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna bore you with that one. So uh, I, I, I couldn't find it properly as well. But yeah, so there's a picture of me holding my forest, the, the forest scarf we're gonna talk about in a minute, mm. uh, on the top of the 10 meter board with a load of people diving in around me because um, I wanted to. But yeah, so that was my, that's my, that's my, some people say that's my claim to fame. The fact that I've been to two <laughs> Olympics and three Champions League games, I mean, yeah, don't worry about those. Uh, the, yeah. I, I was with, I was on Splash, and there you go. Yeah, I'd say the Champ Champions League and Olympics are definitely far more important. Here's the scarf, you know then. I mean? <laughs> Here's the scarf. Talk us through them. So I, I've i got a wolf scarf as well that I've taken everywhere, and as I've got photos of me with this wolf scarf everywhere as well. So I imagine it's something similar, but my wolf scarf has special powers as well because every time I've taken it to big games, we win. Surely, surely, if you've taken it to small games and not won, that power is diminished. Um, yeah, well, I, I think the bigger the game, the more power it gains. It's like uh, that, like a, some kind of special sword or something. It gains yeah, that, the, you know that extra power. Rub it, you rub it. It's like now's the time. Now's yeah, if you beat Man United, really loads of power. If you beat Gillingham or you lose to Gillingham, it doesn't really lose that much power. As, as Ebanks Blake steps up, you start rubbing it. You know. That, that sort of thing. <laughs> so um, I. I don't use mine for, for, for a footballing reference, to be fair. So if I, if I, I have it all the time. So obviously, if I, if I get to go... That living abroad means that I haven't, in the recent years, been able to get to as many games as I wanted to. What I, what I started doing was, if I was back in the UK, I try to make sure I went to a game. So I remember, mm. I remember landing at Luton Airport from Bulgaria to do a job. Uh, it was a Tuesday night. We were playing Preston at home. And I landed, looked at my watch as we were collecting our bags. 
And I've just looked at my wife and gone, we could do this. <laughs> um, and and we're, we're literally stood at the baggage hall of Luton and she's looking at me going, what do you mean we can do this? I was like, get, get the hire car, go. Get, I'll ring for tickets, we'll get them. Um, <laughs> what, what I failed to realise was it was February and I was wearing shorts because I hate travelling in trousers. Uh, and I just never had a chance to change my shorts. So I ended up watching <laughs> Forest versus Preston Boar Fest uh, oh, in, the, uh, in, the, um, in the Bridgeford stand uh, with my, <laughs> my legs on show in February. Uh, so, yeah, so I do, I do love to go. But, yeah, so this is, this is with me all the time. So it, it started off, I think... I've just always had it. I don't even know where it came from, but certainly for the last sort of decade, whenever mm. I've gone to an event, it's I have it attached to my rucksack. So I have a, I have a rucksack and I loop it over the, the straps and, it, and it's sort of, so it's on show. And, and it's, you know, it, it's caused all random conversations in all manner of the world. You know, like people come up to me and go, Forrest, yeah. Uh, and, and, and as you go, as you'll probably guess, people go, oh, Brian Clough. You know, yeah, yes, <laughs> Brian Clough, good. Um, uh, the Bulgarians love it because they have a team that beat us um, and, and knocked us out of Europe one year. Uh, so oh. they absolutely love to talk to me. Like, you'll remember, but I don't want to talk about it. You'll remember the eight. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Um, so, so I, I have the scarf. I, I put it on my, I put it on my bag. So it goes to every country and every event. Um, mm -hmm. and I just take a picture of it when I'm at, I'm at an event, I'll lay it on the stage or I'll put it on the, on the starting blocks of a swimming event that I go to, or I'll put it on the, 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 the platform of the, of a, of a powerlifting event that I'm at or, or any sporting event that I'm at. I did the, um, I was lucky enough in 2019 to be the stadium announcer for the Asian champions league final. Now, there's a, wow. there's one that you weren't expecting. So, um, <laughs> Alain and a team I can't remember because my memory is <laughs> terrible. I'm probably one of the worst people for commentary because my memory is awful, but I write everything down. You see, so uh, mm. there was I went to I went to Riyadh um, and and did uh, did the first leg, and I've just got my scarf and I'm holding my scarf for this photo, and this local just guy just comes up to me and gives me an Alain scarf. I was like, thank you very much. And I think he was I think he was thinking I was going to oh, give him. I'm like absolutely. Zilch chance, not not nada, nothing. I don't know what the I don't know what Riyadi is for nothing, but no, <laughs> mate. But he didn't he didn't take it back. He kept, he gave mm. me the scarf. So so that goes with me um, to to Brazil. It went to the Olympics and the Paralympics with me. I've, every every Champions League and Europa League game I've been you know blessed to have gone and seen. Um, I did like a a hundred different games at Wembley. I'm really I'm really lucky in, in what I've done um, and what I've managed to, to do so far. Cross, cross them open. It's not over. Um, I have to have a proper job. So, so it goes. It goes with me. I take a picture of it, and it's like almost to the point now. If I take a picture of myself doing something, somebody will go, "Where's the scarf?" Jesus, mm. like I'm just digging the garden. I'm not going to wear it now, am I? You know, it's like, there's, a, there's, a, there's a time and a place. Normally, a sporting event. So, I, yeah, I do. Um, I have that with me. That that sits. I mean, oddly, whilst that's my memorabilia, that sits with my picture of my wife. So it kind of doubles up. Um, yeah. That one, my my second one. Uh, am I allowed to show you that now? Is yeah, that right? yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. So this goes back, um, and this is like you know you talked about. Uh, you sent an application in to do audio description, and and one of my big things you were talking about maybe the youngsters look wanting to learn about uh, mm. Brian, and, and and I'm saying like right, look, you know, let's not just let's not just teach you about Brian Clough. Let's let's teach you about take a chance because that's what I did I have um I'm, I'm no shame in admitting I've got nothing higher than a d from school uh, I didn't go to college didn't go to university uh pretty much was just uh drinking and working my life away in a in a factory and and you know fair play to, to people who work in factories been there done that supermarkets home removals done the lot um and then opportunity 
for some reason, I took one. Um, and and it led to everything that I do now. And, and whether it's football kit market with the shirts, or whether it's AMS with the commentary and the announcing, doesn't matter. I don't look back on anything else other than me taking an opportunity to enter that competition for, for audio description. Uh, and the prize, oddly, was because it was a competition. It was like, obviously, it went on to be that you could go and do other things after that. They wanted you to generally go and commentate for the blind, but they wanted mm. to give somebody a prize for being the best in the country. So there I am. Uh, I went to Swansea Stadium. Um, it, the, the video they gave me to commentate on was Swansea versus Carmarthen in the Welsh Cup second round. Um, now, lucky for me, Swansea were in the same league at the time, so I kind of had a, a, a mm. good knowledge of their players. Lee, Lee Trundle was the is the one that, that springs to mind. Leon Osman was the other one. So um, that's Britain, I think it, Leon Britain. Britain, that's the one. Yeah. Um, so they were the they were the two that sort of sprung up. But there was there was the others as as well. And anyway, so I just sort of went for it. And I thought, I was first as well. So I always get picked up. I was first. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go for it. And the woman that I didn't realise, my wife was in, my wife was actually, because I didn't drive at the time, so my wife took me. and uh, Or my, my, my former partner, sorry, took me. And, uh, and my, uh, the woman who was in charge actually leaned into her ear and went, oh, he's good. <laughs> and I was fine. <laughs> and she went, oh, no training, nothing. And she was really cool. So, so there was a really nice, like, I walked out of that room thinking I'd done all right. But I didn't know. Uh, and I got yeah. chosen as the winner of this whole thing. And I was like, brilliant. This is, this is amazing. I don't, know what it's, I don't know what it means, but the prize, <laughs> the prize was to commentate on the first cup final at Wembley. That oh, was wow. the, that was the prize. Problem was the Australians were still having their Marmite sandwiches. And that <laughs> that. So the BBC and, and the, and the Royal National Institute of the Blind, they got in touch and said, look, it was meant to be at Wembley. Mm. Um, we, you, you've been voted the best. So what we're going to do is the game at, at the Millennium Stadium, you're going to commentate on the red button on the BBC uh, with a BBC commentator. Is, is that all oh, right? Wow. It's like, all right. I mean, that's great. So, so that's my that's the first program that I collected. Oh my uh, gosh! Liverpool versus so that, West Ham. So uh, the last great FA Cup final that is in yeah, most people's minds. Yeah, then. yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe Wigan beating Man City was good, but not not yeah. probably aesthetically. Um, yeah. Good old, good old Betty Watson. Uh, so, so yeah. So this is uh, this is Gerard's late goal in mm. uh, in uh, in extra time to take it to penalties. I learned an unbelievable lesson that day, which was to not drink too much water, because by the time they went to penalties, I was absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> like prop, like rocking, you know when you you know when you're on a you, you you just can't you can't go. There's nowhere to go, and you are just rocking back and forward. <laughs> the legs are going. Everything is is trying to constrict to hold it all in. That that's me, uh, and um you know like and so from that moment I I collect programs for the for the big events that I've been to, and they're all in what was my office. I, we're kind of moving, but so my mm. office has frames like this. I will tell you, I broke one getting this down for you today. Um, oh. My my frame my framed uh, Rio Olympic program fell to the floor uh, and smashed. So oh, that's no. a, that's on the fixed list. But basically, yeah, that's my program from the cup final uh, between uh, Liverpool and West Ham. Uh, I have a I have a DVD of me commentating on the red button somewhere, uh, and I'm I'm embarrassed to say it's somewhere. I don't actually know where it is uh, mm. because we've moved house that many times that it's just somewhere. I know it is somewhere. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that 
But one thing that stood out for me there wasn't anything that happened at the Millennium Stadium. It was something that happened in my local pub. Uh, I used to play Sunday morning football for a pub called the Greasley Castle in, uh, in Eastwood in Nottingham. Um, and much to my non-knowledge, what had happened was they decided they were going to watch the cup final that day on the red button because I was mm. doing it. Good. Didn't know that. Um, <laughs> what they also did was they also had a, a round robin bet on what minute I would swear. <laughs> that's, that's how confident my teammates were that I would get through 90 minutes without swearing. Uh, and, and because obviously a yeah, former Forest player, Marlon Harewood was playing, they just assumed I'd call him something. And I didn't. Mm. I was very professional. Uh, and it is, it is interesting. People will tell you, like, who, who know me, I, I am one for swearing. I'm not a, I'm not a sort of, um, I, I, won't, I won't pull any punches when it comes to, to using swear words. And I've never had the urge to do it with a microphone. It's quite mm. bizarre. Uh, it's like some inner switch. Uh, there are some names that make it sound like you swear in in certain countries. It's great. Um, so you kind of get 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 off the hook a little bit. But no, like in the in the in the decade I've been doing it, and and probably a bit more with the audio description, mm. I've never once had that urge. And and I know I've I've heard various clips that we use to teach um, of people letting loose and swearing or saying stupid things with microphones. Um, Andy Gray. Uh, so you know, like I've just never had the urge. It's really weird. Yeah. There, there I was commentating at Wembley, the biggest thing I'd ever done in my life, uh, and mm. all the lads, all the lads are having me a, a pound <laughs> on the eighth minute to say bar stall or something like that. You know, so. <laughs> I've got to ask then. Uh, I know you said that you had no uh, training or experience, but did you used to like commentate yourself in the garden under your breath, or like watching games on the telly, Subutio, that kind of thing? Yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> um, so you can't harvest it because. Like every kid has an active imagination or should have an active imagination. My, my daughter kills me. Like I listen to some of the things she said and I'm thinking, was I that daft when I was a kid? Like, <laughs> was I saying stupid stuff like that? And it's amazing. Like, I, laugh, I laugh at my, she's five and a half and, and she just has me laughing. Her playroom is literally just past my office. And, mm. and I can hear what she's talking about. I'm like, that's mental. What are you, where have you come up with that <laughs> sentence? So, so all kids have that. They, they should have this, this just, just innocence that allows them to just flow with their words and, and say what they want. So, so how do you harness that? Like, the amount of applications, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, and hopefully you're not gonna say, yeah, that was me. So the amount of applications we get, and people go, well, I commentate on FIFA all the time. Great, like I, I yeah. have no doubt that you do. We often get, we often get emails, and they go, well, my mum tells me I'm good. <laughs> like, mm. Brilliant. Like, <laughs> what, what context is that? I mean, how, how bad is a mother if they don't go? Oh, that's lovely. I mean, that's 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 pretty much eighty percent of the early stages of X Factor, isn't it? People have their mums have said you're a good yeah. oh, you're a you should go on that X Factor. You know, should I? No, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> there you go. Um, so so how do you harness it? I used to run around the garden and I can remember using players' names, uh, volleying the ball into the next garden. You know, but there was a uh, just just because I wanted to run around and play football. So I remember doing that, and then obviously I'm not that old. So yeah, so like. Nintendos and, and Sega Mega Drives and Sega Master Systems and, and all of that. And your, your early FIFAs, just because mm. you've got trading cards now, we had proper trading cards and a computer yeah. game. Yeah. So, like, I remember playing that. I remember playing that and turning the sound off. I mm. would turn the commentary off. In the latter years, it would turn the commentary off when it was when that was an ability. At the beginning, you just used to have those like one-liners, goal. You know, um, it wasn't like you didn't have Martin Tyler in a, in a room for three weeks recording every word known to man like they do mm. now, and then just have Alan Smith in for half an hour to go. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. um, so, 
So, yeah, I remember turning the volume off. I remember turning the settings off and commentating. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't chase that dream. You know, like that wasn't, I didn't, I didn't come out of my school and thought, right, well, I'm going to go to Sky now and tell them that I'm the best commentator in my room. Because, you know, logic dictated to me that wasn't what I did. I wasn't academically good enough to go to, to university or college or whatever. You know, I knew that. I, I, didn't, I didn't apply myself very well at school. I was the captain of almost every sports team. Um, and I'm not, I'm not stupid. I just mm. I didn't care. And, and, you know, that's, that wasn't anything to do with my parents. It wasn't anything to do with anybody else. I don't know why. I, was, I had a great attendance. I was always there. I didn't skive. <laughs> I never had a fight. You know, I had one, but it wasn't mine. Um, you know, like, I, did everything, I did everything a kid should. I just didn't get it. Like, I didn't understand school. So I didn't have the opportunity when I left to sort of say, right, well, then I'll be a commentator. Because it didn't cross my mind. My mum my, my and dad had run, they'd run pubs. For, for the sort of majority of my life. My dad was an electrician before that. My mum worked in, 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 rest, in restaurants or in, uh, in cooks' kitchens or whatever and, and school kitchens. So I understood hard work. I got that, I got that lesson. Just couldn't apply myself at the, in the classroom. Mm. And then when I finished, I had a younger sister. Um, times had been hard for my family. My dad was out of work. Then my uncle got cancer and they, they went off to run a pub and I stayed behind with my grandma to, to finish my, my last year at school. Um, <clears throat> And there's no blame for that. There's like, I'm not going, oh, you know, I sat my exams and they were terrible because my uncle mm. was dying. That's not, that, I'm not, that, that's not me as a person. But I left and I just went, well, I'll get a job. That's what I want to do. I want to get, get a job. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I opened my mouth in that room in Swansea, just thought I'll have a go. Because even the, even like the audio disc that I sent in, to, to to apply for this competition, and you you know that you know we we sort we sort of say to people you know show us what your voice sounds like show us show us what you can do, and mm. I did one of those, and even then like I think back to it, I thought I wouldn't have picked me, <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> I, picked me. I, I, I didn't think it sounded that good, mm. but there was something about when I I was told what to do in a room, um, and it was just like right there's the video, go like just just blurt it out. And mm. just talk, just do what you think a blind person would need, and I went for it. And the moment they said stop, I sort of thought, and I was all right. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. Like there was a there was a, a guy, a blind guy, a Liverpool fan in the room, a guy called Barry, who, who I've made very good friends with over the the last sort of fifteen years. He's a, one, he's a curator in a museum in in London, and mm. uh, and his only feedback was slow down. I was like, brilliant. <laughs> Like even I knew then that was that was good. Like because then as he went round the room, he at Barry was Barry's another one who just doesn't pull any punches, and he was just laying into people mm. like, "Well, I'm blind. What's happening? What? Tell me what's happening." And he constantly was saying that, and I thought, "You never said that to me. You never ever said that." The only criticism you had at that point was slow down, and I was like, "That sounds about right for me. I'm gonna get a bit excited. It's fine." <laughs> so, so I sort of took that, and that very moment sort of inspired me. I didn't do a great deal with it. Like the Wembley stuff started kicking in. I uh, did a few more bits and bobs. I was lucky enough to do a, what they call the race of champions at Wembley, which is a motor racing event where they turned the pitch into a track. Uh, and they had like Michael Schumacher and David Coulthard and um, some American drivers from, from across the season. And it was like a, a wonderful, ah, oh, I'm getting all these weird opportunities. And then I got a phone call from a guy and he's like, who I'd met at Wembley. And he asked me what I did. I kind of told him, you know, I never really thought anything about it. He was, he was actually the stadium announcer. Um, and he said, um, have you tried commentating on other things? I was like, 
no, not really. I was like, I'm football. Yeah. You know, like that's what we do, isn't it? Like, that's, mm. but I think that's another area that I would say to anybody listening who wants to be a commentator or anything, just, you know, expand your mind. Like, because everyone wants to be the football commentator, but not everybody wants to commentate on all the other things. And you don't have to be a master of the other things if you get it right. So this guy was like, well, you know, like, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a test for, for swimming. Like I'm trying to find some swimming commentators and announcers. And I was like, yeah, give it a go. I've been with I've been with British Swimming for a decade. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I went to I went to one training day, um, and they nicknamed me the guy the, the commentator who knows nothing about swimming. I had that nickname for years. Like I, I didn't. I, I walked in. They had this video on the screen. They said, "Right, there's two swimmers here." And I, now I know it was from an Olympic early qualifying stage round, but. I didn't know that then because I knew nothing. Uh, what they just said was, right, uh, you're going to have two swimmers, make up some names and some statistics and commentate on the race. On the race. Everybody else in this room had Adrian Morehouse, uh, Mark Foster, you know, they had all big British swimming names. And I've gone with Frank Bruno and Willie Carson because I couldn't <laughs> think of anybody else. Like, I couldn't anyone else to put in this video. So I'm commentating on Frank Bruno and Willie Carson. And because of the way the video started... The bigger one was Willie Carson and the smaller <laughs> one was Frank Bruno. So I'm just bagging these names and I'm just, I just went for it. Like, I just went for it. And the guy was like, well, you know nothing about swimming, do you? I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to lie. I don't know anything. He was like, but that's great. I was like, brilliant. I go, wait, wait, I'll sign. So I sort of went from that and it just escalated. You know, I, 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 I try hard. I, I, I like to think I'm, I'm uber honest with everybody and everything. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the time now and thinking, Christ, I've, I've listened to your episodes. This is way too long. <laughs> But like, you know, just, I, I don't, people ask me a question. I want to give you the whole answer because it's like somebody out there who's young man might be thinking, oh, I'd always fancy being a commentator. Mm. Great. But what are you doing about it? Like, because for me, if you, you do a training course or your mum tells you, or you, or you do it in your bedroom with your mates or, or you do it online and other lads are listening, mm. that's a start if you get a positive, but don't write to Sky because they're just not going to read that. Like, that's not it. Go and get a broadcast journalism degree. Like, the, the, everybody that works for, for AMS has got a degree. Um, it's, quite a, it's quite a funny thing. <laughs> I'm the only one in the company that doesn't have a degree. Even my wife, my wife has a degree in criminology, um, and she works for us at our events. She, you know, she works for the company. She's an integral part of what we do. But but I don't have a degree, and everybody comes to me for the answers. I'm like, I don't know. Well, I do know. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. So... So go and get a degree, you know, like, especially now, when I tell my story and I listen to others, I am really unique, like in, in a lot of ways that this, what happened to me could have happened years ago, but it won't happen again now because, you know, the BBC skies, they want to take on undergraduates, they want to take on people who've got a degree or they want to take on people who've got skills in editing or in audio mm. and this, that, and because then you come as a whole package and that's absolutely great. What I did was just went out there and took every opportunity that came my way and I, like a bricklayer, making sure you get it right. You know, you, you just play, you just lay that wall over and over and over again until you think, right, that is exactly how I want that wall to be. And from now on, that's how I'll always build my houses. If the others fall over, that's unlucky. But this mm. now, that's how I'm going to do it. And that's me. Like I go to every commentary and I think, right, that's great. Like what I've done today, I'll, I'll learn from that. And it's, it's an opportunity. So, so anybody who wants to do it, it is, it's about graft. It's about respect. Mm. I've seen people come and go in positions like, and I just think to myself, why do you say that? Why you, you know, like they get like the same mental attitude that maybe some of the sports people get for, for the money that they've got. I, I stay grounded. I, I enjoy my events. You know, 
12 years ago, if somebody said to me that you'll do a para powerlifting event in Nigeria, and then you'll fly to Russia and do a, a para skiing event for, for a week in Russia on a tiny mm. island that was minus 30 pretty much every frigging day. <laughs> and then you'll fly to Madeira and do a business meeting about a swimming event. And mm. then you'll go back to Manchester and, and you'll oversee your own company doing an event on, on more powerlifting. And I said, you were mad, absolutely bonkers, because there's, there's no right for me to have that in 12 years' time. But now, yeah. that, that's what I consider the norm, and it's, it, it is weird, but I, but I appreciate everything. That's why my family are there, that's why my scarf's there, and that's why a lot of my stuff, uh, to allow you to sign off, that, a lot of my stuff, is, is, it's about me being able to, to push myself, uh, and, and I enjoy every minute of it. Yeah, don't worry about the time, Alan. It's been fascinating listening to you and genuinely inspiring as well because what you are saying, I've thought for the last 10, 15 years, I'd really want to be a commentator, but then never really pursuing it as a proper career and, and you know getting a degree in teaching and becoming a teacher and stuff like that. But then you know, listening to you now thinking it might still happen one day if I do the right things. But one question to to ask just before we finish, I think the, the format's gone out the window a little bit. I want to ask, I want to stay on commentary a little bit um, and just ask for your favourite commentators from your childhood or growing up, who are the voices that stood out for you? Oh, you put me on a spot again. This is where my memory doesn't help me because I just... <laughs> Again, the, the guys in the office, if I, I'll get them all to listen to this, and they'll all be nodding at this point going, yep. Like, my memory is awful. And names, <laughs> for a commentator, this is this is embarrassing. For names, I am horrific. What I'm very good at is research. So <laughs> before, I, before I go to an event, I write everything down. Like I, I turn up at that event, and I sound like an expert who's been mm. doing it for 10 years or whatever, because... I've been methodical in, in people's names, in where they come from, their age, their armpit measurement, you know, anything <laughs> I can get hold of. I, I pride myself on, on that. So you're going to ask me names here. Um, Ian Dark, it was going to be a surprise for, yeah. for a lot of people. Ian Dark, I just find the way he does it really refreshing. I know, mm. I know obviously people will, will think of him more maybe as a boxing commentator, but I sort of mash that together. Um, I just like his style and, and I think I, I like his voice. He's, I think... I think TV has pushed people to be comedians these days, and I think it's a bit weird. Uh, yeah. I think COVID hasn't helped in the last, probably the last nine months for people like Martin Tyler, because um, it's like listening to a podcast. I was just going to say the same thing. You feel like you're interrupting a conversation. Yeah, it's terrible, awful. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not terrible in the sense that you know, because you've got a guy there with like 30, 40 years experience, so so he's got, hmm. such, he's got such wonderful things to pull from his brain, and then it's like it has to have some sort of punchline to it. I'm like, oh, yeah. just, just ask Gary Neville if he agrees. And then when Gary Neville's done his 15 minutes, you go back to commentate. <laughs> but, but, but I get it because, you know, like as a commentator, you bounce off the crowd. Whether you're doing it for TV or not, mm. you really do. You sort of, most commentators kind of try and keep an ear out or they ask the producer to feed a bit of crowd noise in so they can hear it. Nobody does it in utter silence because you, you don't get the references. You know, if a shot yeah. is close, sometimes the crowd will let you know before you can, you can even get it out. So, so you use what's in the bowl or what's in the stands, you know. And um, I think now with it being empty and regardless of fake noise, it's just not the same. So, no. so I think these guys are in a, they're in an empty stadium. There's them. There's a cameraman. There's a guy who does audio. They're sharing some sandwiches. Yeah, it's fun, but they're all socially distanced apart from mm. each other. It must be really, really difficult. It really, really must. Um, I've done a couple of commentaries from home, or I've done them from like. Uh, officers or or, or, or recordings mm. dull like 
to try and get the to try and get the attitude and the atmosphere right is really really difficult. I did a swimming event yeah. from my house that ironically was only happening in Hungary, which is only two <laughs> countries across. I could have walked, mm. you know. Um, so so, but it was just I didn't really get a sense of what was happening in the venue. There was a bit of a time lag, so it was all very like all very methodical. So mm. commentators themselves have a they have a tough job. I I love reading uh, social media when football is on or, or any sport. Like there was a guy, um, a guy the other week, I was watching, uh, I think it's uh, one of Sky's red buttons or something, but I was watching it on iFollow or, or somehow I was watching it. But so I wasn't seeing or listening to the same commentator that obviously a lot of other Forest fans were getting mm. on the red button. And it was just like, they were just listing mistakes. And like part of me dies inside because I'm like, that's... Don't make those. Like from what I can tell, that's basic stuff. Mm. Like really, really poor stuff. Um, and again, like I go off on a, a slight tangent in a, in a Brian Clough-esque kind of way. I think society has changed so much that you're allowed to make mistakes and nobody cares. And I think that's mm. really bad. Um, the other day, um, there was a we we just we just got rid of a defender called Dariqua, um, who's gone to play for Wigan. Uh, he's been at the club for four or five years. Uh, probably not really given his his, his rightful opportunity, um, especially when you when you think that Carl Jenkinson has. Um, so so Dariqua hasn't really had his opportunity. He left the other day, and the local paper published an article about him, which was a little bit sycophantic. The article itself. Problem was they used a picture of Sam Basso, oh. um, and I was like, that's like you know from a commentary perspective, anything like that journalism. That's really bad. Like, yeah. just just stop for a second and think about what you're doing, mm. about the impact of what you're doing, what you're saying has. Yeah. You know, and, and again, I, I go back to never swearing on a microphone or or even saying anything bad because it's just a thought process. Like, mm. whether I'm different, whether I think quickly or whatever, I don't know what that skill is that made me a commentator or it makes me not want to say anything that's, that's outlandish with yeah. a live microphone. But I don't get why people do it. Like, there's mm. just that thought process that maybe nobody cares, and you're what you're saying is correct. I don't think that is. So, yeah. so a commentator should be should be independent. They should be they should be non-biased. They should be trying to tell the story, not their own story. And I think that's where there's a, a real sort of balancing act now in modern times. Is like, oh, we must entertain the viewer. No offense, but I think if you ask the viewer. They just want to know what's going on. Exactly. Like if, if your if your information is pertinent to what's happening on the pitch, great. I'm all for that. Like a, a lot of people have a go at Motson for for stats, and I'm I'm not against that. Like because because mm. ironically, if you think about when John Motson used to give all his stats out, some 15 years later when he was getting criticism for that, now we have XG yeah. and stats for, <laughs> stats for when people breathe. You know, all this like four times a minute. Which is great. You know, so like, so like, but he was. He was a big advocate of that early doors. Like he would mm. say, well, that's the 14th time this season they've done this, that, or the other. And people would mock him for that. I remember yeah. people mocking Motson in the 90s and early 2000s. Why is he pulling out all these stats? All these stats da, da, da. And now the youngsters would lap it up because it fits in with the FIFA narrative, you know? Yeah. Oh, I've got to have stats. Where's my football manager stats? And it's, it doesn't help that that Sky then they they um, they help that they embellish it. They mm. they even change their graphics on transfer window day to look like FIFA. And I'm like, no, like you're yeah. feeding you're feeding mind-numbing stuff to people who mm. instead of them learning how to create their own opinions and of a player, 
It's all based on numbers. So, so a commentator should tell a story and allow those at home to go, right, well, I trust this guy because this, mm. you know, this is what I teach. So I like to think that people hear me commentate, they go, right, well, I've heard this guy about 12 times and he's pretty decent, so I'm going to trust him. And I've never heard him say something that I can then question as a stat, right? So that's kind of mm. that's kind of how you learn to get the, the trustworthy element of a commentator. People, whatever people say about Martin Tyler these days or whatever they said about John Motson at the end, they were good. And, and, and mm. Martin Tyler is good. You know, he... He has the ability to commentate on a football match. His Aguero commentary will, will go down in history. But I bet if you ask him, that's not his favourite piece of commentary. It's probably his most iconic, mm. but it's not. It, it might not be his best in the sense of where he's described an entire move and goal. There might be something else in there that, that he sees as, you know, I really worked hard on, on getting that information and it fitted just there. Mm. I remember um, I remember Britta Brit Sombolongo playing for Forest. Uh, he just signed. Uh, and of course, one of his former clubs was the Wel was Welston, uh, right. and obviously Welston had the Welston Raider coming out and uh, getting his five minutes of fame. You want <laughs> that, that um, and and you know, like everybody gets their five minutes of fame, and the Welston Raider got it. So I'd got written down the fact that Brett Sombolonga had played for Welston, and and the and the Welston Raider, and in the couple of games that I did where where he was playing. I never got a chance to drop it in because it just wasn't natural. Like yeah, I could, yeah. I could have wedged it, but for me, I'm not, I don't like that. And I'm not a big fan of where people just go. Oh, I'm going to squeeze this in. Mm. It doesn't mean anything right this second. <laughs> I'm going to squeeze that in. And 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 now, unfortunately, I see that all the time. It's like right at the beginning of the game, you can hear a commentator just reeling off loads of stuff that they're dead proud they've mm. got. And I'm like, mm. just save it. Like, and if you don't get a chance to use it, so what? And also, be another game, majority yeah. of people watching this game will have Googled that. <laughs> you know, they'll know that. And loads of, you know, you get all your information. The, the club websites now are absolutely yeah. fantastic yeah. compared to what they used to be. Uh, social media is a wonderful tool for any sport because people just lay their lives out for all to see, you know, if, 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 a, if a local athlete has bought a dog, you'll find it on Twitter. If, uh, <laughs> if, a, if, a, if a Paralympic runner was, was once abused in the street, you'll see it on Twitter because mm. somebody will put it on there. Um, there, was a, there was a fantastic story in the Olympics in London of a, uh, a US Marine who'd lost his eyesight in a, to an, an IND um, uh, in, in, I think it was Afghanistan. And, a year to the day after having that accident, he won a 200 meter freestyle gold um, oh, wow. in, in, a vision, in, a, in a vision impaired um, event. You know, mm. And they're the stories, I'm like, right. And I wasn't allowed to tell that. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe that'll offend someone. I was like, that's the wrong decision. That's such an inspiring story. And then it was like, yeah, but maybe you'll, you'll maybe you'll offend somebody who was on the other side of that war or da, da, da. I'm like, I get it, I, I get it. But that's an amazing story, mm. like unbelievable story. So, so a commentator should be able to do that. I think Ian Dark go right round to the other side. I think Ian <laughs> Dark does it really, really well. Uh, I think there's there's some wonderful commentators. I, I you know like I could tell I could tell you names of, of of lower level ones who they do live streams or they do mm. low level rugby or this that and the other. I work with a guy called Dave Rogers who does all manner of sports. To be fair to Dave. He's absolutely fantastic. He's absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's got this lovely little Welsh accent. He takes his time. He he's like me. Oddly, he sounds nothing like him in commentary with his attitude and his you know the way he, he does it. He's he's all slightly tweaked. 
uh, a young lad called Jonathan Bell, who was actually Birmingham City's in-house commentator last season. Um, a wonderful talent. This guy turned up on my doorstep when he was 15, lied to me, told me he was 16, came on one of the, came on one of the commentary courses. He was like a 50-year-old man. That, you know, he, was, he was from, oh, from Rotherham. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm Jonathan Bell. Uh, he just had that. He, just, he, had, he had that sound from Rotherham. And he just blew us all away. We were like, yeah, Christ alive, what is this guy on? And he will be, I hope, you know, if he, he ever listens to this, I hope he goes on to be a fantastic commentator. He's already been to um, Korea. He came to Korea with me and did a, the, the Para Winter Games, uh, the Paralympics uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Korea. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, and and he will be like uh, he's still only twenty one. He he should be if he isn't. He should be a fantastic commentator. Just got everything, just everything in a in a, in a, in a... Mm. Brilliant. Well, we'll end it there, Alan. A fantastic podcast. Really, really enjoyed all the stories from Forest to all the commentary stories. Thank you very, very much for coming on. Don't forget, go and check out Alan's Forest podcast. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug as well while you're here? Uh, no, like I say, if you're a Forest fan, then uh, obviously uh, the Forever Forest podcast is is what we do. We've got we've got a singer, we've got a poet, we've got several journalists, um, and then an idiot. That's me. Uh, so we, you know, we we like to think we've ticked all the boxes. Um, as I say, if you want to get hold of a decent football shirt, shop elsewhere. No, I'm joking. Uh, at Footy <laughs> Kit Market uh, on Twitter, we're we're on all the other channels as well. Um, and if you're interested in events, I'm more than happy. My email is alan at alanmarchsport.com. There you go. Uh, you'll find our website. I, I'm, I answer. Do you know what I answer these days? I answer more questions than I do work. I think, um, <laughs> but um, but I'm I'm more than happy to give guidance where I can um, and have, have done over the years. I'm not a I'm not somebody who's who's sort of insular and doesn't give anything away. I'm, I'm if I can help someone, I will. Brilliant. Well, if you uh, if this is the first time that you've come across the podcast, then please subscribe to it on the various platforms it's available on and uh, rate it five stars and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, we'll be again. We'll be here again for another episode in the next couple of weeks. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>